Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello. Welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and what we do here is we take a piece of pop culture and we condense it down. We tell you the story behind it. But also, we reveal how there's real history just lurking underneath the surface. This time round, well, it's, it's sort of a two-parter in a way, because we're going to be talking about Captain America. I, I, maybe this podcast is called Captain America, or maybe it's called Falcon and Winter Soldier, because there's a TV series on at the moment, or indeed, if you're listening to this in the future, available now on Disney+, Plus, which is sort of about Captain America after Avengers Endgame which is a very ambitious bit of storytelling. More on that later on. But what this ultimately is about is, weirdly, propaganda. And you might be thinking, OK, I know where this is going, Captain America. You know, clearly that's a bit of propaganda from World War II, isn't it? So you're right. Yes, we'll be talking about that, of course. But I'm going to be throwing it out to you right now. How far back... Do you think propaganda messages are? I'm not talking about bias. Any historical record will have a bias. Either it's pro a certain group or anti that group or pro that king, ruler, whatever, or anti it. Now, I'm talking about going out of your way to try and get your message over to the masses. Because I'm going to say this. It's probably a lot older than you think it is. So... Here we go. We're going to be starting off. With, and, and I'm going to start off this time around. Usually what I do is I start off with a bit of pop culture and so on and so forth. But this time round, I'm actually going to start with the history. I'll come back to the history as well. But let's start off with, so when? When on earth can we say propaganda started? Well, look, it's always up for debate as to exactly how you want to define it. But a pretty good place to start is 1274 BC. <gasps> so, in other words, it's nearly, it's pushing 4,000 years ago. Now, that is a very long time ago. And I think you can probably guess we're certainly not in America. So where are we? We're actually in ancient Egypt at the time of one of the pharaohs everybody's heard of, Ramesses II. And Ramesses is one of these pharaohs that because he ruled for so long, it's one of these things where it's a little bit debated, but easily 60 years, maybe 70 years or more. So some people, a little bit like with Queen Elizabeth II, just sort of grown up with them. You just assume they're always going to be the monarch. 
Ramesses was very into building his identity. And the big difference between British monarchs and the pharaohs is the pharaohs were seen as walking gods. Uh, gods amongst men, basically. Indeed, the word pharaoh does not mean king or emperor or anything like that. It just means the house. In other words, it's almost like their name is so great we can talk about the palace, the place where they live, but we can't talk about them. That's almost sacred. So that gives you an idea already of a little bit of propaganda going on there. But it's specifically to do with Ramesses II because he fought a battle. The Battle of Kadesh, spelt multiple different ways, but perhaps the most common way is K-A-D-E-S-H. The Battle of Kadesh is important for many different reasons. Basically, prior to the Battle of Kadesh, there are documents around the world which said a battle happened. And that's all we've got. We don't know how many people were in it. We don't know necessarily what the tactics were of the time. We have no idea of kind of what went on in that battle. Pretty much we know which sides were fighting and who won, and that's it. But the Battle of Kadesh is the first time we actually get, if you like, a battle report. We get a bit of history about what went on. And we know that it was between Egypt, ancient Egypt, and the Hittites. So really, if you think about the time of Ramesses, and you think of the Middle East, sort of like modern day Syria, Jordan, Israel, those sorts of areas, those areas were between two great empires. To the south there was Egypt and to the north there were the Hittites in what would be modern day parts of Turkey, Iraq and Iran. Rough equivalents, no, not exact. So you can see that if those are the two great empires there's a bit of a buffer zone and kind of unsurprisingly Kadesh is sort of between the two empires. They were clearly trying to expand against each other and what happened was this was the largest or it's thought to be the largest chariot battle in history. They think that between five and six thousand chariots were on this battlefield, creaking around, kicking up huge amounts of dust. It would have been, I was going to say a glorious sight, but there probably would have been so much dust in the air you might, not, might have had difficulty seeing what went on. But the point is this, when the early battle reports basically imply that Ramesses went out with his forces and basically he went out with the van of the forces the the frontal attack forces and they met the Hittites on the field of battle started fighting and very quickly started being overwhelmed and he was only saved from complete catastrophe by the rest of the army turning up and then basically numbers evened out and exactly what happened we're not entirely sure because the Egyptians claim victory but when you look at the Egyptian Hittite peace treaty that happened subsequently it basically said that everything was back to the way it was, which seems to imply it was more inconclusive. However, over the years, this story of Ramesses going out first got turned bigger and bigger over the period of his reign, so that by the time he was dying, there's literally giant images of him smiting endless chariots. Suddenly he has become that god again, where blind luck of the rest of the army turning up is sort of seen as mopping up the forces after Ramesses, the giant Godzilla-type pharaoh, has laid waste to the hitter. And so clearly that's propaganda. That was not the level of victory that was actually achieved. We can prove that by looking at the peace treaty. But that's the story that kept being told again and again in Egypt. And of course, there was no news broadcast or anything like that then. So that became the established story. This is clearly what happened at that time. So there we go. And a lot of propaganda 
comes from wartime. And I think we need to have a little bit of a comment here, because now I'm going to fast forward, ooh, about 3,700 years, give or take, and talk a little very briefly about World War II. We'll be coming back to World War II quite a bit later. When I talk about Dr. Seuss, and you might well have heard of him, oh, Cat in the Hat. We looked, then we saw him step in on the mat. We looked, and we saw him. The cat in the hat. He's recently been in the news where some of his books have been withdrawn because of racist caricatures or stereotypes, things like that. And I would agree. Now, interestingly, it doesn't affect the ones we all know, things like How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, all those sorts of books are still there, still available, still buy them. I personally think that they are very clever, you know, using something like Cat in the Hat, he's able to tell a story, a constructed story, only using 50 words and it rhymes. That's pretty impressive. Not, not 50 words in total, but he only repeats 50 words. The entire vocabulary of the book is just 50 different words, and he's able to construct an entire story out of that. That's really impressive. That's hard to do. And I also happen to find his illustrations quite playful. However, like I said, some of his stuff that he was making in the 50s and 60s was showing insensitivity to different races. You could argue it was kind of of its time, and that's fair enough, but we've moved on, so yes, those things should best be forgotten. However, during World War II, I've heard a lot of criticism. He created propaganda posters, and particularly he was drawing propaganda stuff for, in particular, the Pacific Campaign, so against the Japanese Empire of World War II. And there's been a lot of comments about sort of racial stereotypes and sort of dehumanizing the enemy. And at that point, I have to say, okay, context is important here. If he was just doodling that in, let's say, 1990, then yeah, that's just terrible and awful. But during a war, that's the point of propaganda. You don't do nuance. You don't say, hey, we need to look at it from the other guy's point of view in a war. You dehumanize the enemy and you point out how heroic your side is. Those are the rules. They've been around since the time of the Battle of Kadesh. And Dr. Seuss, which is not actually his real name, is just sort of following on this great tradition, which I'm going to be showing you again and again, and it shows you how much it's seeped into our psyche. This is the interesting bit to me. So, like I said, I was going to start with a little bit of history. I'm going to continue. We talked about how Egypt is the start. So, there, obviously, there are periods where things have popped up again and again throughout history. But to fast forward a fair bit, because this is a podcast, not... I don't know, a thousand page novel about propaganda through the ages. Do you know what? Maybe at some point I might want to write that. I, I don't know. That's just a passing thought that's popped into my head. Sounds interesting. It would cost a lot because you'd have to get all these different image rights, which would probably be very expensive and probably wouldn't cover its cost in terms of sales. But anyway, just mulling it through with you right now. I digress. So let's fast forward quite a bit to the era of Napoleon. And I'm going to ask you, when I say Napoleon to you, what image, physical image about Napoleon pops into your head? So, Bill, what you're telling me, essentially, is that Napoleon was a short, dead dude. Is he a bit hook-nosed? Is he a bit short? Well, if you're thinking that, congratulations. You are still a sucker to, in particular, British propaganda during the Napoleonic era. The nickname for Napoleon at the time to be insulting to him was the Little Corporal. His, his diminished height was used again and again in British propaganda, and yet we know that Napoleon was about five foot six. 
So he was slightly taller than your average man at the time of, let's say, around about 1800. Obviously, he was around before then, but, you know. So the point is, he wasn't particularly short. But of course, what do you do? You you make the enemy look stupid and foolish and ugly and kind of subhuman. But, you know, he himself used propaganda on his own. One of the most famous paintings of Napoleon, approved by the man, is that one you've seen of him on a white horse with the robes flowing behind him. It looks amazing. And that's him crossing the Alps. And he looks every inch the conqueror that he wants you to believe in. Propaganda. However, we know that crossing the Alps was incredibly bitterly cold. Everybody was huddled under heavy coats and he was riding a donkey because it was the only thing available to him at the time. So that is just as historically inaccurate as the British talking about him being a short little corporal. It's showing you propaganda from different sides. And that's the thing. Propaganda exists on all sides. Once this rule has been created, of course you're going to use it to whip things up for your side. Why are we all dying because it's worth it is the basic message of propaganda. Look, we need to stop this incredible evil enemy or look how heroic we are. I, again, we keep going back to that again and again. Sorry, guys. Even at the time Napoleon, you can see this kind of stuff going on. But let's fast forward a little bit. So I um, shouldn't surprise you that 50 years later or so after the Napoleonic era, we have the US Civil War. There are propaganda posters from the US Civil War. However, I'm going to argue that a lot of those really lack the color and imagination of the Napoleonic era, or indeed the later era of the World Wars. So for some reason, the US Civil War wasn't a golden age of propaganda. I'm not saying it didn't exist, and I'm not saying there wasn't some very good reasons to, to fight the US Civil War. I encourage you to do a Google search, and you'll sit there and go, yeah, okay, fine, it's a load of text. It, you know, there aren't clever images, there aren't clever catchphrases or anything like that. Go figure. Leading into Captain America, spoiler alert, he was created genuinely. The character was created in World War II, so genuine piece of World War II propaganda. But let's, before we get to him, talk about World War I, shall we? In World War I, Alfred Leet created a masterpiece in 1914. He took a picture of Lord Kitchener, General Kitchener, who was the leader of the British forces, and exaggerated his moustache and actually stripped away almost all his body so that what he was left with was this intimidating image of a man's face staring straight out of the poster at you with a finger pointing again straight out at you and written simply underneath it was, your country needs you. That's it, simple as that. And that was a design masterpiece. Congratulations, Alfred Leet, because that started setting up all the volunteers for the British Army in World War I before conscription was put in. Once conscription started, these propaganda posters continued, but they were there to sort of like hurry you along to joining up. Now, the reason why I call it a design classic is to the American listeners, you're going, no, 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 Jem, I think you'll find it's Uncle Sam. I want you for the US Army. And you're right. That image that I've just described was taken by the US propaganda department by an artist called James Montgomery, 
basically repeated the entire trick, you know, face staring out at you, finger pointing out at you, and rather than your country needs you, it's like, I want you for the US Army, and instead of changing Lord Kitchener, who would have meant nothing to an American, changed it to this, again, propaganda image of Uncle Sam, somebody who kind of looks like Colonel Sanders draped in stars and stripes, and that's the image of the American ideal, if you like. Interestingly, in Britain, there's quite often sort of like this bull Drummond and uh, sort of like the bulldog, there's sort of like this fat, portly gentleman who's sort of seen as being the epitome of British. And again, he'll like wear a Union Jack waistcoat, quite often with a bulldog. The bulldog was further emphasized under Churchill because he was a lot of people thought he looked a bit like a bulldog. Oh, yes. So you've got these little shorthand images to try and push out an idea. But it doesn't stop there with your country needs you because the Soviet Union copied it during the Russian Civil War. So this was going on at the same time as World War One and into the 1920s, where you get this Russian soldier. Now you've got sort of like most of the body in a sort of like red coat because this is the Red Party, the Communist Party of, of Russia fighting against the White Party. And he's again looking out. He's again pointing. And rather than asking like, you know, I want you or your country needs you because this is a civil war, it simply says, did you volunteer? And so you've got three different civilizations, cultures, I'm going to say that, all doing the same trick, if you like, and all coming from the original by Alfred Leet from 1914. By the way, the Uncle Sam one, if, in case you're in any doubt, that came out in 1917. So yes, it absolutely was influenced by the earlier one. However, that is not my favourite propaganda poster from World War One. So just to be clear, the poster I've just been talking about, look, it, it is a design masterpiece. If you're going to say which one was the most effective, most influential, yeah, it's that one, the Your Country Needs You one. But when I was a kid, there was a selection of posters from World War I on a, on a page in a history book. And there's this image of this little boy and girl playing in a living room with some toy soldiers laid out on the floor. And there's the dad in like an armchair. And there's the little boy sitting on the dad's lap talking to him. And the dad is looking out with a slightly scared image on his face. He's looking worried. And the, the line underneath it is simply, Daddy, what did you do in the Great War? And the you is emphasized. It, it's sort of it's in bold and is larger. What did you do in the Great War? So in other words, it's saying, oh, you want to be a coward, stay at home and live? Then you're going to have to face up to your children in the future and point out to them that you are a coward. Join the army now. It is incredibly manipulative. It is incredibly hostile. Again, you want to talk about how this would be absolutely unacceptable in today's society. You're absolutely right. But when you need men to fight a war, and from the point of view of the British, this was the single largest, at that time, single largest mobilization of, of men in society ever, you just needed as many hot-blooded men as possible to get out there and fight in those trenches. So it's an incredibly genius, manipulative, evil, question mark, way of doing things. So look, I've just given you a whirlwind tour from the time of ancient Egypt and Ramesses II up until the Russian Civil War in the 1920s. So there we go. P pretty good going. But... Of course, I've talked about Captain America. I talked about Falcon and Winter Soldier. So let's talk a little bit before I go into the history of Captain America, a little bit about what you probably know about these series and the movie. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, look, the Marvel movie started in 2008 with Iron Man, and then there was Iron Man 2, and pretty quickly they realized we need to get to an Avengers movie. So there was also a Thor movie, and then there was the first Captain America movie, which came out just months before the actual first Avengers movie, Avengers Assemble. And so it was called Captain America, the first Avenger. And actually, what you see in that movie is pretty close to the early comic books of Captain America. Now, since then, it's sort of obviously evolved. The second one was Captain America Winter Soldier, and the third one was Captain America Civil War. And these are all sort of things that happened indeed in the comic books. And now I'm going to do spoilers. So Captain America was always seen as the heart of the Avengers. And, you know, he's just a good guy. He's incorruptible, if you like. And so we come to these Disney TV series. They've already done it with Star Wars, with the Mandalorian series. And there's more coming as well. And they've already done it with Marvel, with WandaVision, which I'm going to say works better as a TV show. It was so weird 
that everybody was like, oh my God, what's going to happen next on WandaVision? I have got literally no idea what's going to happen next. However, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, what you've got is a slick kind of superhero thrillery thing. Think like Captain America Winter Soldier or think like Jason Bourne. And, you know, it works. It's good. But it isn't as effective as WandaVision because it's like we've all kind of seen these beats before. Oh, they find out what the, who the bad guy is in episode one. Oh, OK, so then they're going to chase him in episode two. Surprise, surprise, they escape in episode two because that would be the end of the TV series. So we need to keep going for episode three and so on and so forth. So six episodes in total. The only spoiler is from episode one right at the end which I'll come on to in a moment and brings us back to Captain America. So the point is, in the movies, everything's sort of happening in sequence. So Iron Man, the original Iron Man movie, is happening years before Avengers Endgame, that massive, huge hit of 2019. However, these TV series are taking after Avengers Endgame. So we're now seeing what happens after this amazing epic story of both Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And the answer is with, you know, Wonder and Vision, there's lots of interesting stuff happening there. But with both Falcon and the Winter Soldier, these two people were very much associated with Captain America. And while Captain America isn't exactly dead at the end of Avengers Endgame, he's... He's very, very old, okay? He's just now clearly out of the picture. That's it, he's gone. And full disclosure, spoiler for the end of Avengers Endgame, which you've had more than two years to see and was for a time the biggest grossing movie of all time, so lots of people have gone to see it. I can't be the only one and think that the old makeup on Chris Evans did make him look like a, a handsome version of Joe Biden. Maybe I'll try some of that life Tony was telling me to get. I think they were clearly aiming for Joe rather than for Donald Trump or anybody else. It was, I, I don't know if it's just me. You know, have, feel free to send me a message on Twitter at Jim Daduchu if you think that might have been a thing. Look, uh, while we're here, look, it's always worth saying, please, please, look, click subscribe, give us a review, tell somebody else about this. You know, we're slowly growing the numbers. Thank you so much for that. But we could grow them faster with a little bit of your help. And always, always click subscribe on whatever podcasty thing you're listening to this on. Let's get back to it, shall we? With both the Winter Soldier and Falcon, or Sam and Bucky, however you want to say it, what I heard is the, the vibe they wanted to do, the sort of bickering between these two, was meant to be like Riggs and Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon, which is a very dangerous thing to say because the whole buddy-buddy cop or the mismatched partners is pretty much pinnacled with Lethal Weapon and the Lethal Weapon series. And... It's fine in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it ain't as good as Lethal Weapon. Sorry about that. And so what you're seeing is it's all good. Daniel Brühl, who's once again in it, and he was in Civil War 2, he's probably the best thing in it. He's always excellent good value for money, be it in Goodbye Lenin or be it in Rush, where he plays Nicky Lauder. That's an amazing movie. Also, Thor's in that one, too. He plays James Hunt. So, uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> actually, that movie has got more superheroes in it or supervillains in it than I previously thought. Anyway, I'll move on. So, yeah, he's always great value for money. He's a great actor. He's, he is German. So, look, he's good in it, too. The whole thing is just coming across as fine, whereas WandaVision is special. So I'm going to say it's it's just not up there with some of these other things. But, you know, you could spend worse time watching it. But at the end of episode one, actually, I will go back to Avengers Endgame, when basically Captain America turns around to Sam, the Falcon, and says, 
here it is, it's, it's yours, and gives him the shield. In other words, I'm too old, you need to be Captain America now. How does it feel? Like it's someone else's. It isn't. And Sam turns to Bucky, because Bucky's been a lifelong friend of Captain America, and says, you know, kind of, is this okay? Do you want to do it? And, you know, Bucky gives the nod, and it's sort of like, so Sam is now the anointed one to become Captain America, and basically at the beginning of Falcon and Winter Soldier, we very much see Sam rejecting that. No, I, I'm, I'm Falcon, I'm not Captain America. I can't possibly compare to the, the love, lovely Steve Rogers. No, 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 it needs to go, and so it's put into a museum. But then at the end of episode one, Another kind of all-American hero, he's not a superhero or anything like that, he's a multiple decorated war veteran, becomes Captain America. And he goes through quite a journey as he sort of realises trying to live up to an icon is impossible. He's just a man. And obviously, in the case of Bucky and Sam, they're not going to accept him because they knew the real Captain America. But for everybody else, he's been positioned perfectly, but is he up to the task? And that's the thing, you know, no human can ever possibly live up to an icon. It's a really interesting idea. It's explored a bit in the TV series, but it's not the main drive of the TV series. But yeah, going back to Ramesses, you know, Ramesses died. You know, Ramesses nearly lost the Battle of Kadesh, but the propaganda made it out to be different. But presumably there must have been times when Ramesses looked at these massive images and thought, didn't happen like that. I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as that guy up on the wall there. That's complete conjecture. We have no idea what Ramesses II was thinking about that. So let's actually talk about Captain America. So when people turn around and say, oh, it's really jingoistic, oh, it's really out of date. Yeah, there's a reason for that, because what they've done is they brought to life in TV and movies an actual character who is a propaganda piece from the 1940s. And for that, we have to thank Joe Simon, a writer who created Super American. No, no, he didn't like that name. There was already Superman, and there was there was a number of supers out by 1940. So, no, can that? How about Captain America? There we go. Much better. And he came out in the very late 1940. And this is a very interesting time for America in World War II. World War II basically started in September 1939 when Germany invaded Poland and Britain was brought into the war, as was France. There was then a period of actual quiet after the invasion of Poland, and it all kicked off again in the summer of 1940, Battle of Britain, invasion of France, all that stuff, Dunkirk. But while all of this was happening, America was still neutral. So when Captain America came out in 19, late 1940, America still was not technically part of World War II. It was sitting on the sidelines, seeing what was going to happen next. And very much... Captain America was about Americans fighting the Nazis, which I think we can all agree is a good thing. And indeed, that image from the first Captain America movie, the modern one that is, of him punching Adolf Hitler is directly taken from the first edition of Captain America. The first edition sold about a million copies. It was a huge hit, but... There was equally, well, not literally equally a million, but there was also quite a large outcry. A lot of angry letters coming in to the studios. This was before Marvel was called Marvel. It was a sort of like pre precursor to Marvel. And 
not everybody was happy about it, saying they weren't happy that this was the way they're portraying it, or, you know, what about my German ancestry? You, see, you know, you seem to be very down on the Germans here. Maybe we should hear them out a bit. So it does show you that things were a bit different. Of course, that all changed in December 1941, about a year later, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And America is now in World War Two. There was actually a brief pause after that. It's like, clearly America's declaring war in Japan. That's an obvious one. But Germany didn't attack, did they? No, no, they were clearly on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. How do we convince the Americans that we need to fight the Japanese, which is easy, and the Germans, which is a lot harder? And the answer was Hitler did it for them as a couple of days later he declared war on America. So now it's like, fuck, OK, now we can fight both sides. And it was agreed between FDR and Churchill that while Japan obviously needs to be fought, the vast resources, the bigger threat was Germany. And that was probably the right call as well. But also explains why Germany fell first, Japan took longer. So what we've got here is by episode three of the Captain America, we get a guy called Stanley Lieber who's starting to do a little bit of work on it in 1941, that is. Stanley Lieber, you might better known as Stan Lee. Yes, that was not his real name. Sorry about that. And so over the 1940s, the majority of the time, Captain America fought the Nazis. And indeed, in 1944, we get a B-roll series of short movies. People talk about these Saturday matinees. It must have been great going to the cinema in the 30s, 40s and 50s because you paid your ticket for the movie, but you'd spend the whole morning there. As you got like newsreels, like here is the news, you'd get like a short little, I don't know, cowboy flick or something like Flash Gordon, or in this case, a little short Captain America piece. And then you got the main movie. A few years into this comic book, you could argue that pretty much the first superhero to get a movie was Captain America, not Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or any of these bigger properties. And it played pretty well. It was pretty short run. And obviously, once the Nazi war machine was destroyed by about May 1945, well, just flip Captain America over to the Pacific, over to the East. And so he's fighting the Japanese. And again, look, if we want to talk about sort of insensitive betrayals of people, there is lots of racism there in those early Captain America images. However, by 1950, well, you know, it'd been five years since we'd beaten both the Japanese and the Germans, so it was getting less and less popular. They tried to spice it up as Bucky, the boy wonder who sort of like was backing up Captain America. He wasn't so much a, sort of like a, a soldier, he was more like a boy who followed him along, a bit like Robin, and he gets shot and wounded, not killed, but he's sort of like pushed to one side, okay? So he's sort of like pushed to one side, and so Captain America really by 1950 has run his course. He is this patriotic, flag-waving anachronism, even by 1950. And so it goes quiet. Then they think, well, maybe we could bring him back and have him fight another enemy that the whole of America is worried about. And indeed, in 1953, he comes back to fight communism, which is probably not the weirdest idea. And, you know, 1953, that was the last year Joseph Stalin was in charge of the Soviet Union, and he was certainly not a nice guy. This is height of the Cold War, we've started to have nuclear weapons threatening each other. It wasn't a bad idea. But 
<laughs> in just one year, nobody was interested. He was pushed to the sidelines. He was not written about again. And then finally, in 1963, 10 years later, he is brought back. Now, how do you explain somebody that basically the parents of the kids that were reading his stories, he's, you know, clearly quite an older gentleman. So how do you get him back? So what did they do? They did exactly back to where we were with the first modern movie of Captain America. They completely came up with this new idea of, OK, so he was fighting in World War II, Mr. Patriotism, or, you know, dressed in the flag, all that kind of stuff. But he was an experimental aircraft that crashed in the Antarctic. And since then, he's been frozen until 1963. And now he's dug out. So a man frozen in time has been an idea around Captain America for more than 50 years. It still works as an idea. And certainly by the 1960s, America was almost indistinguishable from 1940s so it worked really well but since then he's been there all the way through captain america's either been in the avengers or you know had his own comic book since 1963 to today and indeed civil war was you know a key part of that was in the captain america comic books and just like avengers endgame and falcon and winter soldier it hasn't just been steve rogers both Sam, the Falcon, and Bucky, the Winter Soldier, have at certain points also been Captain America, as well as other people. Some of them been good, some of them been bad, some of them been assassinated. And indeed, the outfit that the new Captain America is wearing is not an identical copy, but is clearly riffing on the slightly darker, slightly more, slightly more dubious Captain America of the 1990s, which wasn't Steve Rogers cutting a long story short there. So yeah, what we got then is a TV series that, like I say, it, it just isn't as light and refreshing as something like WandaVision. It is well put together. It's well acted, good action scenes in it. Although I do have an issue. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this one thing, okay? In the opening scene of the very first Falcon and Winter Soldier, Falcon swoops onto an airplane and very quickly he ends up in a fist fight with these guys and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to want to kill them and they end up kicking him out of the plane. It's sort of like, okay, fine, so Falcon doesn't kill. Even though he's got guns and he's ex-military, maybe he just didn't want to go in all guns blazing. I mean, obviously that's not particularly heroic and I know the plot has to happen, but even so, what annoyed me from the beginning was it's like, so he swoops in, he is unarmed, he does some fighting, he gets kicked out of the airplane. Then he starts firing missiles and throwing hand grenades everywhere, blowing airplanes up, clearly killing lots of people. It's like, mate, all of this could have been stopped if you just swooped in holding a handgun from the very beginning. You know, this is the point where if you break your own internal logic, I will say shame on you, and you have just broken your own internal logic. So, yes, it's things like that that make it not five star. Sorry, guys, on that. But yes, you can turn around, you can clearly see that Captain America is an idea of, like, patriotism and sort of, like, the, the problems with that phrase goes back millennia. It is something that's really important in civilization, a form of propaganda. And indeed, World War II was like the height of this. So the Americans had Captain America, but in Britain we had lots of famous poster campaigns. For the record, that whole thing about keep calm and carry on, that was hardly ever used. In the 1940s, that just wasn't a thing. It came, went up in a few post offices, that was it. It was rediscovered in the early 2000s and became this whole meme that now everybody's very bored of. But, you know, other famous ones like loose lips sink ships. 
and dig for victory, things like that. There was also a huge campaign in Britain where during the Battle of Britain, you know, we desperately needed as many fighter planes as possible to keep the Germans at bay. So this is a massive campaign. Everybody bring in your steel pots and pans and we'll melt, melt them down and turn them into guns and turn them into airplanes. And yay, let's all work together to make sure that we can we have the resources to build the, the weapons of war. And none of that scrap was used. It was just to make the country feel like it was contributing in its own small way. So, yeah, this is, I mean, you're lying to the masses. This is obviously can be manipulated in all kinds of evil ways. But I'm going to say that if you're in a big war like World War II, when it is a case of a genuinely nasty organization like the Nazis potentially invading your country, I'll allow the government to lie to the population to give them a bit of steel and grip and vigor to keep fighting. It's an interesting concept. One, perhaps, that you might want to think about after the podcast. Love to get your thoughts on Twitter, as always. And hopefully, I will speak to you soon. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.